I feel like in life, it's it's dangerous to go through life thinking you're owed something, and much more fulfilling to earn stuff. Um, and I think if people can get a real handle on the difference between thinking you're owed something and thinking you've earned something, that's how I try and go through life. Welcome to Get Seen Unscripted. I'm your host, Jesse Malinowski. We are going to dive into acting insights, meet industry pros, and master the business. Don't forget to subscribe and share. We're keeping you behind the scenes and ahead of the game. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Get Seen Unscripted. I'm your host, Jesse Malinowski. I'm super amped up for our guest today. Uh, it is someone that has been a very longtime friend. We have worked together for many, many years. Uh, and he's just an awesome, awesome guy that uh, now has his own talent agency. You may know it as AWA, or if you don't know AWA, it is the Alexander White Agency. Alex White, What's what up, is up, man? Thanks for having me. Dude, so good to have you here. This is beautiful. Look what you built. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I was going to say, get get close to the mic. I already I, tested all this. You, I you, have, you have brilliance <laughs> to say, so I want to make sure we hear it. <laughs> Especially when I'm talking about you and all your accomplishments and how well you've done. That's true. I yeah. mean, you did start off on a pretty good, pretty good note. I know how to do these things. Yeah. Speaking of notes, you have music notes on your wrists, yeah. but you are a talent agent. How did how did that happen? So I actually went to college for performance, Loyola, New Orleans. I went for guitar and vocals, and uh, I lasted like a month uh, before I realized it wasn't for me. I was around all these prodigious jazz musicians who were like incredible, sat in these three by three boxes practicing nine hours a day, uh, and just realized I. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Like I could noodle around, I could play guitar and sing on my own, but I didn't need to go to school for it. Um, and so this like, well, wait, because like, because you just felt like they were so good. You like, didn't feel they were so good and they wanted it so bad. Mm. You know, they wanted it so bad that they would dedicate that much time to something. They would sacrifice spending time with pe other people or do it, sacrifice whatever, just to get a little bit better for class the next day. Um, and so I got these sort of like during earlier part of my college career. One was to celebrate getting back from Hurricane Katrina because I got there during the hurricane. Mm. And the other one was basically just to finish the idea. Um, but it also sort of became a reminder because in music, there's a coda at the end where it's kind of like ends a, a phrase. And I left it off to, just to kind of like remind myself that there's like an unlimited amount of ideas. You know, there's it's never a shortage of things you can do or places you can go with anything. Oh, yeah. And so that's kind of why I haven't gone over them with something else. Yeah, no, I love that. I yeah. think that's cool. You said that you went, like, right at Katrina. How was how was that? Yeah, I got there on a Friday. My mom and dad dropped me off. She cried her eyes out. They left. Saturday morning, we woke up and got a note from the college that a hurricane was coming. This happens all the time. Don't worry. Take a book and a pair of shorts. We'll see you on Monday. Um... So I drove back to Atlanta with a friend who also went to college there. And Monday turned into the following Monday, turned into the following month. And before you knew it, the message was, we'll see you in January. We're done for the semester. Wow. So I went to Kennesaw State, lived at home, which becomes a recurring theme in my life, moving home. 
So <laughs> that was the first time. Well, you know what? I'm going to grab the positive out of that, yeah. that, that your parents continue to welcome you back. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they still would, I think. <laughs> um, so then you found your way interning at People's Store. Yeah. You were selling suits at Bloomingdale's because you weren't making any money there interning, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who... Dude, I love this grind story. I it's... just love it. Well, you know, we, I came out of college in 2009 after the crash. It was impossible to get jobs. Talk to anybody who, like, went out on their own in that time. There were no jobs to be had. So I was applying. I think I, would, I sent out, like, 200, 300 resumes with no responses. Jeez. Um, and actually ended up selling cigars in Lenox Mall at the old Tinderbox, which is no longer there. And then went to Bloomingdale's to sell suits. Um, and because I had done a music business degree, I kind of had had some internships throughout. And I had this, uh, my... Mr. Freer, my high school drama teacher, his wife is a fantastic actress, Rhoda Griffiths, who they have this niece who wanted to get in the music business. I helped her get an internship. And as a thank you, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know you're uh, an actress. You must have an agent. Like, can I meet them and just talk about what that job is? Um, and that was when I was working at Bloomingdale's. And I walked into People's Store at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday and they were gracious enough to let me answer the phones an hour later, and the rest is history. Man, so. how long How long did you have to, I don't know if suffer through is the right <laughs> word, like grind through, right? Yeah. The, the, like interning while then like having to go to Bloomingdale's at the end of the day, sell suits. Like how long was that journey for you? How long was that? I think a few months, I think, interning like, proper intern. I don't know if people let you intern for free anymore, but you could back then. Um, and I actually had to lie to my parents because I was living in their basement. And one of the prerequisites was... You're like, I got a great job. If you have a job and you're making money, absolutely. <laughs> but I had quit Bloomingdale's and was going to people's store working 9 to 5 and then just not going home until like 10 p.m. because I told them I was working the afternoon shift at the mall. Mm. And so I'd get home and they'd think I was at work and Marsha's going to hear this and be like... They know this what? at this oh. point. <laughs> they, know this. <laughs> they know everything these days. Um, but I think it was a few months, and then uh, we worked out a situation where it wasn't an internship like that anymore, and I just sort of rose from there. Okay. Yeah. I know you eventually, and this is before the self-tape game really, really came out, I feel like. I mean, it was it was peeking, peeking through a little bit. You ended up opening the New Orleans branch mm -hmm. for People's Store. How did how did that come about? And, and and I think more specifically, how do you think that like kind of changed the trajectory of your agent career? Yeah. It was so I had been obviously went to school in New Orleans. I was there four years, and I remembered being there. Like when you when you when you graduate college, they give you all these career counselors and help you figure out what you're gonna do. I remember all of the advice being geared towards staying in New Orleans. It was very insulated, and the whole culture is stay here and be a part of New Orleans and not shut the rest of the world out, but, like, we take care of our own, and we want you to be, we want you to stay. Um, and we were obviously a people store, and to this day, like, regionally incredible and nationally at this point, but we were doing so much work in Wilmington under this 500-mile radius thing that we have in the southeast. Um, 
and so little work in New Orleans, which was also booming at the time. And I remember I just sort of like pulled up Google Maps and Wilmington was like 492 miles from our office and New Orleans was like 487 or something. And I sort of said like, why are we booking 100 roles a year in Wilmington and two in New Orleans? Um, so I went, I just, I drove back down and took a meeting with some casting directors and they were basically just like, we like locals. We like the people who are here, which is exactly what I remember hearing in college. So I basically drafted a business plan and I was like, there's money to be made there. We're already making it. We can have that income twice if we just get a hold of New Orleans. Can I go do it? And Rebecca at People's Store was kind enough to let me run with that plan. And so I moved back to New Orleans, found a spot, signed actors, made relationships with those casting directors, became one of the locals. And uh, those relationships have been some of the most fruitful like to this day. Yeah. 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 No, I, I totally like know that for you. And it's like so cool. So, I mean, as, as long as I've known you, I didn't even know that about uh, when you were in New Orleans, people saying like, we're kind of like, you know, we help our own. Like, yeah, I, it wasn't, I even... it, and it's funny because it wasn't so outright. It was just a feeling you got the way they directed you coming out of college. Mm. There was never, no one ever suggested, oh, my friend works at this agency in LA or, uh, my friend worked at this record label in New York. It was always, what can you do here? So it was just a feeling you got. Yeah. 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 When you were there, like you... <laughs> so kind of talk about that for actors that then ended up finding work in New Orleans. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember I'd be taking the midnight megabus yeah, and all. Megabus. <laughs> People used to just buy every $1 ticket in 365 days just yeah. in case they had to go. Right. Yeah. And and so, like, how, how did you see actors find success? Mm -hmm. You know, did they have to go? Did eventually they not need... You know what I mean? Can you yeah. kind of like talk about that from your point of view and, and yeah. how, how you helped actors get work out there? I think the big part was like monkey see, monkey do. Like I decided I was going to be successful down there by going and my face being there. And I was kind of like, I've always had this, you know, I, I don't like taking anything for free, right? Like I like to earn everything. And that's what that community needed of me was to be present and be around for them to give me a fighting chance among all the great agents that were already in New Orleans when I went. And so I just sort of tried to instill that same principle in the, the clients we represented, you know, like you have to make the effort. I can get you the appointment, but New Orleans at this time was still very, and it still is an in-person market, which is so unique in the Southeast, but it, it was everyone, every cast director had an office. Every session was in person. They would begrudgingly take a tape, but they wanted people in the room. Um, and so when I got down there, I basically told everyone, like, I can get you work here, but you got to come make an impression. You know, we'll tape down the road, but you've got to come show someone that you can do it on take number one in person and then take a direction and nail it again. You know. Um, and How many actors took you up on that? Not as many as <laughs> probably should have. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I think it was probably cause I was younger. I think it was like a young man's game asking someone to schlep all the way down after they'd made a career, not having to do that, mm. which was fair, you know? Uh, and it's not to say that people didn't find work down there cause I was there not doing that, but there was something new and exciting about it. And I think the people who did embrace it 
kind of like to this day have this hustle road warrior thing about them, you know, like it did work. If I need to do it again, I can do it again. I did it once before. And so I think it kind of ended up being a pretty cool proving ground for people. Like they kind of like discovered something about themselves and how much they wanted it and what they were willing to do to, to like chase this dream. Dude, that's so true. I mean, when I think about, I mean, I still tell, tell those stories like to this day. Right. And I'm, I'm like, I'm rarely talking about, oh, let me tell you when I booked Jack Reacher. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me tell you about when I took the mega bus to New Orleans yeah. and had to like brush my teeth in Harris Casino before the audition. Like yep. it's all, but, but I mean, that's so true, right? It's always talking about the journey, rarely the destination of the yeah. booking, right? So like, I, I can't agree more. Yeah, it was, it was, I think you and a couple guys were the ones who figured it out. You could go to Harris and if you played anything for like, an hour, your parking was free for 24 hours. So you could go there, maybe sit at a table, maybe have a drink and loosen yourself up a little bit, yeah. leave the car there, go to the audition, find a place to stay, come back and drive home. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or or if you're doing the mega bus, I would um I would so the mega bus would, would land, I'll say land, right? Yeah. It would land around like five, I think like five thirty-five in the morning is when it was it would go. And so like there would be like the dinner restaurant in Harris that wouldn't be open. And so then I would just go to a booth and try to get a couple <laughs> hours of sleep in the booth of the restaurant. I didn't know that. That's good. <laughs> I knew people took showers in the sink at the Harris Casino. But yeah, I yeah. didn't know people slept in the restaurant booths. Bum wash too. Yeah, yeah get it in. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just take the trolley to second line. Yeah. Um, all right. So then you end up uh, starting Alexander White Agency. What? Mm -hmm. What? Why did? Why? It sounds like everything is going really well for you to this yeah. point, right? Why? Why go off by yourself? Um, I think when I was down there alone and had some, a little more autonomy, I got to do. Not that I didn't get to do what I wanted before, but I think without the the atmosphere of the office around me, I was sort of charting my own path a little bit in the way I want. Because I was still a young agent, still learning how I wanted to do it. Um, That's true. And kind of like in New Orleans, you're not like reporting to anyone. I wasn't really you're reporting just, to yeah, anyone. Yeah, you're kind of doing your thing, yeah. Obviously, I had bosses, but they kind of gave me some leeway to, to build that the way I wanted to. Um. And I just sort of like discovered a real love of, obviously I had a love of talent, but I think when I was on my own, I gained some confidence in, in my understanding of the business and, and acting in general. And I think that kind of translated to me wanting to be a more permanent part of each individual client's career. Not just send the appointment, send the audition, send people to an audition, but maybe have some creative input or more career planning or um, just be more available, I think. And when you break that down to how much time it takes to do that with each individual person, individual person and hours in a day, um, I realized I was going to, I was going to end up doing this job more managerially and spending more time with less people. Um, and so that's kind of, that was kind of the genesis of AWA was how can I work harder for the people I love the most? Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And how come then it, 
you started an agency agency as opposed to becoming a manager? Because, yeah, I'm like, it, it feels yeah. more like a manager and you kind of said it as well. So how come you weren't like, I'll just be a manager instead? It's kind of the. It was kind of two things. One is. Theoretically. What I like to do, generate appointments and do deals and that kind of stuff. Technically, managers aren't empowered to do that. Um, in, in major markets, there's actually laws on the books. In Atlanta, not so much because agents don't have to be licensed in the southeast and a lot of the southeast states. So that distinction doesn't really exist. Um, but I wanted to generate a reputation as an agent as opposed to a manager so that if ever I needed to move into a market where that did matter, I was already the thing I wanted to be. Mm. I wasn't having to make a switch to a quote-unquote different career. I mean, they basically work the same everywhere these days, but, you know. Also, I think it was easier to get breakdowns if I called myself an agent. I'm sure there was, like, I think to get, uh, like, national breakdowns, I had to be SAG franchised and SAG franchised as agents. And that makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure there was a... So when you ultimately started AWA... We got to go back to the basement. What <laughs> you started it Those with were your, fun days, man. You started it with your dad. Can yeah. you can you talk about that and and that dynamic? I mean, I feel like I I, I hope I hope you tell the story of what's in my memory. But like, I remember your dad kind of bringing this up, and it just he made it seem so simple, right? Yeah. And and can you kind of talk about that father son dynamic with him in the business too? Yeah. So there was a lapse between. Um, me leaving people's door and starting the agency and kind of a, should I go somewhere else to do this? Should I do this for someone else? And I remember my dad basically being like, sitting me down because I moved home. I didn't have a job. So second time moving home. <laughs> Back to the basement, baby. <laughs> Probably applied to Bloomingdale's again. I can't remember. Um, but he basically sat me down one morning and was kind of like, could you just explain your business to me? I don't understand what you do. And I was like, yeah, you, you find actors, you sign them, you, there's these services and you put people up for jobs and you blah, blah, blah. And he goes, how much, what do you need? What do you need to do that? And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess nothing really. I don't know what the breakdowns cost. I was on someone else's. And he, he just wa sort of walked me through this very realistic thing about like, it doesn't take that much to just give it a go on your own. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I can't just like start an agency. These places have been around for 30 years. And the reality was I didn't have a choice. There were no other jobs. And so he gave me a small startup loan and a desk in his basement. Um, and I bought a computer and made some phone calls and we just tried it. And it was a blast because from someone who's not in this business, Everything about the business is cool, right? Like, book a TV show. Like, what? Really? I watched that show. For us, it's like, it's just a job. Just That's just the thing we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So he was doing his financial business on this side of the wall, and I was doing the agency on this side of the wall. And anytime an offer would come in or something, because I didn't expect anything to come in, ever, we both, like, celebrated huge for the smallest wins just because <laughs> it was the most unlikely thing that could possibly happen in that time. Um, and it was cool because my dad had always been this sort of like 
beacon of intelligence and, and business prowess. And he had an unbelievably successful investment banking career. And then for him to sort of like be excited seeing me do the thing I was doing, I was like flattered in a way. I don't know if like that's what you say about your parents, but it was cool. I, I don't know that I had felt that from my dad before like that. Wow. Um, I mean, I just love so much that like you had the limiting beliefs, right? Yeah. Of I can't do that. And he was a, he was just able to just look at the steps so simply. And he's like, well, you just do this and this and this, right? That's all you do? And it's like, yeah. It's like, well, you can just do that. Yeah. And I just feel like that applies so often to so many things that we put up these blocks. We put up these objections. We put up these walls that we have created ourselves. Yeah. And so, so that that's incredible that your dad was there for you like that. Yeah. And I think it's something that I've carried forward a lot is just kind of like anytime I feel... Like, oh, only like big agencies do that or only these type of people can do this type of thing. I sort of think back to the basement and go like, well, no one can tell me what I can or can't do. I don't know if I'll succeed, but I could try. And that's sort of been, that's sort of been a big part of what I've tried to do at the agency. Yeah, I love that. Um, I feel like, I feel like anytime you think of a, a talent agent, you got to think of Ari Gold from Entourage. And I feel like we've we've talked about, I mean, we've watched so many episodes together yeah. and talked about the show and both of us have watched the series so many times. Do you get a lot of inspiration from Ari Gold? Or, or I mean, I feel like my inspiration from Ari Gold comes in my knee-jerk reaction to things. And then, you know... I'll write the Ari Gold email so I can get it out of my system, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's yeah, just smart, a sensationalized smart. version of the thing. Um, so maybe I write that email so I can feel that way and then delete it and act like a human being again. Wait, um, in the younger years, how many times did you send the email and not delete it? Often. I got yelled at a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yelled at by clients, yelled at by casting directors. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to figure out when I was wrong and figure out when I was right, though. I mean, sometimes you get yelled at because you're right. Mm. So um, what do you mean? Well, people don't like to be wrong and some people lash out in different ways. So, OK. Or if someone wants to make a deal and it's not the right deal that you want to make. You never know what kind of pressure someone's under that might make them react differently to what you want. So. Uh, yeah, I do think it's important that that we remember, right, that we're all in this together, yeah. you know, producers all the way down to the actors. Like, we, we are all on the same mission to all make a good living, right, mm -hmm. and and produce and create an art that the audience is really going to yeah. love. And, the you know, the, the whole premise around deal making is that both sides win in an ideal negotiation. So, you know, I think... And that's negotiating, you know, maybe agents, casting directors and producers, but also maybe me talking to clients and our negotiation is over should you do this audition or not. So there's a lot of that that just goes on on a daily basis. And I think making a bunch of mistakes early just made me better at it. Yeah. All right. Like anyone will say that about anything. It's kind of like the most general true statement you could make. For sure. For sure. With, with Ari Gold, are there still things like, do you ever... I feel like probably like earlier in your career, you would like 
like Ari Gold could almost be like this mentor in a sense, like this fake kind of mentor. Do you do you like think back to Ari Gold now still? Like, yeah, I mean, he actually there's a great book that came out that was it it was ghost written by someone. I actually don't know who, but the author on the book jacket is Ari Gold, and the audiobook version is is read by. Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Yeah. As Ari Gold. Dude, it's so good. And it's brilliant. It's so good. And it's very much his personality from the show and his whole shtick, but it's kind of about, it's, I forget, now I've forgotten what it's called. It's like, I think it's called the gold standard. The gold standard, yeah. like five, five rules to power or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Very ostentatious title, but it is just generally about being like decent and, and knowledgeable in business. And it's like a great book, but I do obviously still think back to like his voice sometimes. Yeah. I literally was thinking about listening sometimes. to that book again. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in my Audible library. Dude, definitely you got to. to. It again. And I, you know, people used to call me like the Ari Gold of Atlanta, which is, I don't know how to take that. And they told it to me when I was young, <laughs> which was such a ego boost. Yeah. You know, so like, <laughs> do I think back to it? Of course I think back to it. It's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I try to, I tried to make my own personality as an agent. Be the Alex White of Atlanta. Yeah. And it might have speckles of that every once in a while, but... I love it. You know. I think any agent who's in their 30s right now who tells you that they don't channel Ari Gold in some way is just flat-out lying to you. <laughs> yeah. There's no way for that not to have been an influence if this is what you do for a living. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if it's that you are purposely trying to go in the complete opposite direction, it's because that character existed. For sure, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I mean, Entourage was just such a great show. I mean, even the actor, you're yeah. like, you know, which part of it, who am I in this group? Yeah. And like, that's like the dream. It was our sex in the city. It's like, I'm not a Miranda, I'm an Ari. Yes, <laughs> you <know>? yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. He's always been a, a thing. So I know that you go to a lot of film festivals. Yeah. Uh, which ones are, are your favorite and why? The go-tos every year, without question, are Sundance and Cannes, um, which ironically are the two festivals that Ari Gold goes to in Entourage. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Is that why you chose them? It's why I knew about them. Yeah. Uh, which may have led to why I go to them. Um, Sundance, I grew up skiing out west. Uh, with my family, so that was kind of like seemed like a good opportunity to keep skiing when I was an adult. Um, and it's just awesome once you get there. And I think they're my favorite because I like to be good at things. Just generally, I like to be good at things. And I've been going to these festivals for eight or nine years now, and I've gotten good at them. So when I go to a new festival I haven't been to, I just don't feel like I'm good at it. Like mm-hmm. I went to South by for the first time and was like, I don't have a clue where to go here. I'm not good at this one. Um, How long have you been going to Can and Sundance? Can, I think, nine years. Oh, man. Sundance, seven or eight. Yeah. And your and your wife, Allie, you guys go to Can every year. It's, like, really special to you guys. I mean, yeah, you guys yeah, got yeah. married in the south of France. We got I mean, married, it, it made like, a huge impact on you. 35 minutes north of Can in um, a town called Grass. And... I actually went to camp for the first time as an intern before People Store. This was like this really one-off, weird, 
job internship thing I had with this uh, like hedge fund guy who was raising money for TV and film and was going to Cannes just to wing it, I think, and asked me to go just to like be his assistant. And we stayed on a boat. Oh, and I don't have a what? clue what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were like, but I'm on a boat. This no, is- well, they got a boat and told me we were staying on it. We got there and they didn't tell me that they were staying on it. <laughs> and the person who owned it hadn't, they said there wasn't enough room for me. So I had to were sneak like- on at night and sleep on the couch and sneak off in the morning. Wait, where did they expect you to sleep? I don't have a clue. <laughs> Tell you the truth. And these people didn't end up being the most scrupulous people on the planet. So I like actually had to find my way back from France on my own too. What? Like they left and I had to like book a flight and call my folks and get help to go home. (laughs) Oh my god. So that was my first can. How have I never heard this story? (laughs) I feel like I blocked that from my memory. I feel like after that experience, you'd be like, I hate Can Film Festival. (laughs) You would think so. But like one night they took us out to this club and there was like a giraffe walking around and there were there were bottles of vodka everywhere and I was twenty four or something and I didn't pay for any of it except for the flight home. Um, so that was awesome. But if you've ever been to the south of France, if you ever go to Cannes, it's not that hard to fall in love with it, even if you have a bad time. So it was amazing. And then my wife, now wife Allie, one of our first vacations together was. We should go to this film festival. We're both in the business. Let's just, the, you and I go and try and figure this out on our own. Uh, and we've been going, that was like eight years ago. And we've been going ever since. We got married there. Uh, my son went with us. My two-year-old went with us once. And he went to French daycare while we were there. My parents and brother came from London and hung out with us. We got a big house. It's become like kind of a gathering spot. Yeah. I'm retiring there for sure. Oh, man. I think. All right. We'll see. All right, so then you've been going to Cannes for uh, for nine years. Other than you were supposed to sleep on a beach and giraffes were bringing vodka, what's like your favorite? <laughs> to your... be fair, the giraffes didn't bring the vodka; they just happened to be there. In in my in my mind, they're just like wearing a satchel <laughs> and they have the vodka, <laughs> like kangaroo giraffes, just with satchels of liquor. Yeah. Um, um, what's what's one of your favorite Cannes film festival stories? They're so fun. I mean, we were there for the premiere of Inglorious Bastards the the day it happened. We didn't get. A ticket to go but we wound up on the beach so there's there's a beach along the Quasette in Cannes where they set up all these temporary clubs and restaurants during the festival for events and just generally for lunch and stuff and we ended up at a restaurant next to the beach club that was hosting the Inglorious Bastards after party uh, and when you're in Cannes especially when you're young and don't have a ton of reason to be there you might Try and sneak into a thing here or there. Try and be a part of the scene. And this was like my first one after the disaster experience. Um, We wound up next door. Might have lent underneath the barrier between the clubs. (laughs) And ended up just like at the Inglorious Bastards party. Shaking Brad and Angelina and Tarantino's hand. And congratulations on the film. Try to act cool when you're so not. (laughs) Um, But that was really fun. That kind of stuff just happens in places like that, though, because the industry's there, the people that you want to get to know, and you kind of learn the ropes of how to be on that level. I think I think being in those places and having conversations with people I should not be having conversations with has taught me a lot about just 
operating on a certain level in my business and maybe also in my life a little bit, you know, yeah. like you're not unwelcome. I don't feel like I'm unwelcome anywhere as long as I understand the scenario I'm in and the, and the etiquette with which, you know, that scenario comes. So, yeah, I think that's such a good point. I think most of the time we are, uh, like talking ours, we're saying that we're not worthy. Yes. Like, oh, this person is above me or at a higher level. And so I don't belong, but nobody has told us that we're just telling ourselves that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can shoot yourself in the foot when you get into that, those places, but you know, there's a, if, if you treat everything as a learning experience and I treat festivals as a learning experience and my job is a learning experience and really pay attention, then I think it, it, I don't think it's that hard to figure out how to comport yourself in any place in the world, really mm. with like a few minor observations of, of, whoever you look up to or idolize or situations that you want to be in in the future. Um, and like you said, I don't, I don't think anyone should exclude themselves from those places. Other people might exclude you from them and that's fine. Try again later, but yeah, you shouldn't do it to yourself. Well, well moving, uh, moving across the pond then back over to Sundance. Yeah. I know that you will rent a big house with like <laughs> your own actors and go to Sundance. Yeah, man, come we, on. H how much do you feel like Entourage right now? I mean, I mean that one is that one is basically exactly Entourage. Yeah, right. Like we get there and there's there's some guys fighting over who's in the bunk bed, and then we're trying to RSVP to parties with like a plus seven, which is impossible. Right. Obviously, <laughs> um, but it's fun, you know. Like again, it's it's that desire to want to be a part of my clients' lives, and that doesn't mean just career wise, you know, like. We spend a lot of time with these. I spend a lot of time with these guys. We go skiing together. We every year, whoever's in the house, I take to a nice dinner on the agency, and we we try and talk about anything but the business. Um, but still, write it off. Well, obviously, yeah. it's Sundance. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's always super fun. I wonder how many years I have left in me of that mm. as I'm getting older. Um. Well, I don't think we need to stay in the same house to have a similar experience. Yeah, is what yeah, I yeah. guess I'm getting at. For sure, I but was we'll going to say I, I don't know where where Baby Royce is going. In the Baby Royce going to ski school next time. That's where yeah. he's going. I feel like I feel like some actors might be like, "Oh my gosh, this sounds incredible! How can I be that actor that's that's getting a big house with my agent, going to a film festival?" I'm sure there's not like an exact formula to it, right? But like, no. how, how does how does an actor uh, build that relationship with their with their team? I think it takes someone who like really wants to engage in the whole process, and a lot of the process doesn't have anything to do with the individual actor, right? Like, it would be hard to develop that relationship with your agent if you're exclusively focused on. What am I getting? What, what's for me? Whatever, and not not to like say that actors are selfish or anything. I actually think being selfish is a good thing. Um, but the people who go to festivals, especially people who go to festivals with no reason to be there, no film there, no meetings to take, they just go. 
are people who, like me, just want to go be in the room where it happens, right? Like, they just want to be around it. Just find some nugget to take home and be a part of the process. Um, and I think the people that I end up going with generally are people like that. And we get to, you know, we go out, have a day of whatever and come home and have our last drink of the night just talking about the day and what we learned together at the table, right? So um, it takes those kind of people to develop that relationship, I think, with their with their reps. Also, obviously, you need a rep who also wants to engage in the whole process sure, yeah. that way, too. I mean, some people are fine just submitting and, and, and deal-making and doing it from home, and that's fine. Um, but if you want to be a part of, like, something like we do at Sundance, like, obviously, you have to be rep by a personality that wants to do that with you. Not much. You can't. You can't force someone to want to go do that. Yeah, but even if it's like even just be, it might not be the the film festival sure. thing, but like just connecting on a more personal level. Uh, I feel like for a lot of actors, may and for some others, maybe not, might just like sound like a dream. You it's know? just human relationships. Yeah, you know that's what it comes down to. Is is if you look at it as exclusively an actor agent relationship, that's exactly what it's going to be. You know, that's what you're after. That's exactly what you'll get. But if you're after a genuine human relationship connection, like it outlasts that it, you and I, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that became so secondary to what you and I are uh, the relationship we formed. Yes. So, 100%. and I think the, the people that it's a hard thing to do because because you go in, because you, go you in. do go in wanting something yeah. very specific. Yeah, very specific. And then specific. somehow you have to be like, but I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. And it's also okay to be wrapped by someone who you don't want that with. For sure. You yeah. Know? And it, it probably actually, like, it makes it easier. It probably makes it easier. Yeah. 100% yeah. does. Because, I mean, I, I can even, like, speak on my own, my own experience. Like, there's times, right, where, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I would be like rooting for you, obviously, right? And you'd be telling me your successes, but with other clients. Yeah. And I'm like, great, <laughs> but this is hard at the same time, right? So I think 100% it makes it harder, actually, yeah. if you do want to have that type of relationship with an agent that goes beyond uh, just the professional. Yeah, and I think when it works, both parties still hold each other accountable for the job that they're supposed to be doing, all that. I mean, it's, that's like why I don't hire friends to do stuff for me, right? Like, I'm never going to hire a friend as a realtor, right? I need someone to yell at yeah. and not feel bad, right? Like, I would never hire a friend to, like, as a contractor just because that's not the relationship I want with someone who's doing a job for me. I think probably the actor-agent relationship is different than homeowner-contractor, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, although some of them probably only last that long. I don't, know. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. Contractors are hard to find. I think you find a good contractor. I don't care who it is. You hang I'm, on to I'm, him. I, yeah, I'm gonna hang on to him. <laughs> Make him your best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah for maybe. sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's not for everybody. We've definitely lost clients. They've dropped us, or we've dropped them because that style just doesn't work with those personalities. So, and I'm not like that with everybody. You know, so I mean, like it would be impossible. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. If you're an actor and you're enjoying this, then I can promise you, you are going to love the Atlanta Actor Summit brought to you by Get Scene Studios.
It is our three-day online event that is going to blow you away. Since we're Get Seen, you can expect the top industry pros. You can expect to come together with other actors and really gain that actor tribe and build that community. And then you're gonna be able to put together a really solid game plan for your 2024. So everyone, the event is December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. It is the Atlanta Actor Summit. You will not want to miss it. Right now is early bird pricing. So you can grab your ticket right now and get it at the most affordable rate. Again, this is a three-day virtual event. So mark the days off and grab your ticket now and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So you really found your way into your AWA, into your own uh, agency, and then seems like you really get re-energized and get excited and, and learn along the way, going to the film festivals and all mm -hmm. that. So what about we take all that aside? What are you what are you doing when you're not uh, when you're not negotiating contracts <laughs> and and uh, and secretly uh, shaking Brad Pitt's hand? <laughs> um, well, I have a kid now, so that's a new thing. We had a March 31st. During the pandemic, we went into the hospital without masks. We came out with masks on. Oh, man, like, yeah. it was day zero when this kid popped out. So these days, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Which is but, bro, that was so beautiful. I mean, we talked about this. Yeah. That was, like, it seems like the craziest time, yeah. but really the most beautiful time for you. It was unbelievable. Because I mean, everything was on pause. Everything and was on pause. And you have this new baby with your wife. And, like, it, you didn't have to think about anything no. else. The only thing we had to do for a year was watch him grow and yeah. figure out how to keep him alive. Um, <laughs> Which you did. You, you, you he's still kicking. Yeah. yeah. He's still kicking. <laughs> um, so that's been, I mean, that's been the majority of it. Last year, we did a big home reno, which, speaking of contractors. Yeah. He was good. Okay. I can recommend him if anybody needs a reference. Um, other than that, you know, I, I'm like, I like hobbies. You know, I did the bread making thing. I did it before anybody else did it, though. Yeah. I did. I had my starter first. Yeah. I remember when you were like, you're doing bagels, everything. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah, I was crushing it. Uh, long before it was cool. And then. But you're a man behind, you're a man in the kitchen. You love the kitchen. Yeah, I do. Uh. Yeah. I like anything. I was like a math guy. So like, I like baking because it's math. Um, I was a, I was like a math and science guy and a lot of cooking is chemistry. I don't know. I just like kind of a nerd. Uh, I recently bought another guitar so I could start noodling around on guitar again because I started to miss that. And also I want my son to be in the arts. Knock on wood. So I thought just having instruments around might encourage that. Yeah. Um, so I had to learn the whole soundtrack to the Cars movie recently. Oh, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Smart. But yeah, Royce is going around grabbing a block. You're like, or you can grab this guitar. We were at Guitar Center and he picked out a drum. He was like, I really want this. And I was like, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah, buy you a drum. Absolutely. Was Allie like, no. It's a little drum. It, okay. Not a whole kit. We're not there yet. But no, she's into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's super into it. So that's taking up a lot of time. It's just the, you know, 15 years in, I'm still doing the work-life balance thing. So a lot, a lot of my non-agenting time is figuring out how to successfully not agent for a few hours a day. It's mm -hmm. hard to turn it off, especially with a business that's pretty 24 hours. So, you know. 
how, I, I mean, I think that's so important. I think stepping away re-energizes you, refuels you. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like you said, you get, you're still figuring it out, but what have you kind of learned along that journey? I guess the most important thing is that like not everything has to be done immediately. Yes. I, I spent a lot of time wanting to be first. Uh, and I think I'm learned that like you don't you don't get any extra points in some scenarios for being first. You do in some scenarios, absolutely, but not all of them. And so yeah. I sort of tried to take that to heart more. You know, even little thing. No phones at the dinner table with the family. Like it's hard. It's hard to do when not right now, but it's generally hard to do. So why? Why do you think? Because I love what I do. Yeah. And I love when stuff happens. And I love when clients email me with ideas or new breakdowns come out or new auditions come in or new offers come in or anything. I just want to be, I just want to see it all the time. Mm. So, I mean, it's the, it's the, I remember there was a study, right? But it was like the, your phone like going off is the same it's it's a smaller version of it but if like if you were at a slot machine and in in one at a slot machine it's like the same type of like dopamine hit probably and so it's probably a disease i mean i'm yeah. sure by the time we're 60 or 70 there's going to be the same way like football players are seeing all their brain scans now we're going to see brain scans when we're 70 that show us that we've absolutely botched it in terms of development by looking at all this stuff all the time Dude, you I mean, I feel like I feel like you're so right. It's yeah. so sad. A hundred percent. Like the history books and the the science books are gonna be wild by the time yeah. we're retired. Yeah, put the phones down. Put yeah. them down. Yeah. So but we live today. We live in today, and that That's research true. doesn't exist. That so disease ain't out yet. It's not out yet. <laughs> it's not. And I'm not gonna research it. So we'll see. Someone smarter than me can can tell me why I should put it down more often. Yeah. So within your balance, I, I I feel like you've come a long way, right? Yes. Oh, my God. So far. I used to just sit with my laptop in my lap 24 hours a day. I'm surprised I could have kids. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. You have the laptop in your lap. Just, supposedly. Just microwaves just burning stuff away for yeah. years and years and years. Um, But, yeah, I've come a super long way. Where do you... When you look at yourself now, are you like, I still have... A ways to go or you're like no i feel like i've at I've, least right now where i'm at I, I feel like this is this is a good balance i think i've i think i've got a pretty good balance going what would ali say yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh he would probably say different but like it's hard to get it if it's not what you do yeah sometimes you do have to be first Sure. And you have to at least look at the phone to see whether or not it's something that you need to do quickly or can leave. You have to be aware of the thing to know whether you can put it off or do it immediately. So it doesn't really change the necessity to see the thing. Yes. Well, I think I think important that we just continue to stay open, right? And we she can, would say and, and, you should stop bring... doing it in the car, which I wholeheartedly agree on. All right, so we got to work on that. We'll work on that, <laughs> right? If you had a Tesla... I'm not getting a you, Tesla. I, I did the exact opposite. I get like eight miles to the gallon. I know. I you, love it. <laughs> you, everyone, I have to, I'm telling you how this went. I'm telling Alex, you should get a Tesla. And then he calls me one day and he's like, hey, you know how you've been telling me to get, this is no lie. You know how you've been telling me to get a Tesla? And I was like, yes, 
I got a Bronco. <laughs> I was like, what the what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I always wanted one. Well, you know what? I do support that. You always wanted one. You yeah. could get one. I agree. Go do it. But it could drive itself, and then you could be first on the phone. Ford has a self-driving thing coming out, or it's in some already. They'll put it in the big ones at some point. All right. Hummer did it, right? Like, we'll get the Bronco version of that, and I'll trade it in. All right. All right. Fine. Fair Unless enough. there's something cooler. Yeah. <laughs> All right, A. White, we are coming to the spotlight sign-off. Okay. So, question number one is, what is something that you are super grateful for today? I mean, is it my son? Yeah. My family, yeah. It's the, the number one thing I'm grateful for every day. If there was one book or TV show or event that you feel like really changed the trajectory of your life, what was it and why? I have to pick one of all I those mean, categories? If, if you want, you could you could do one of each if, if it comes to you pretty easy like that, yeah. I mean, book is the mailroom. It's a book. Of, it's just an account of people who worked in the mailrooms at major agencies. And it's amazing because it's so humbling. Um, event would be... So when I started the company, I had an option to go be an analyst at a bank. My dad worked in an investment bank. He set up an interview just in case I needed a lifeline. I got an offer to work as an analyst at a bank. The event that's most important is my dad. I, I called my dad and said, should I go take this job where I'll earn a bunch of money and be safe for life? Or should I start this thing and work for free? And my dad told me, you'll be secure but you'll not be happy doing this thing. Mm. And it feels like you are very happy doing this other thing. And he told me to go do the agency thing. And that was the event that quite literally set my life in motion. Wow. Yeah. I feel like it would have been, it would have been so easy for him to be like, yeah, follow in my footsteps. hundred percent. And it, it came out of left field. The fact that, that he didn't tell me to do the other. Yeah. Thing. You were like, he's definitely telling me yeah. to do the banking. Yeah. Or at least he'll tell me to go do that and start this on the side. Mm -hmm. But he said, you just won't be happy. And all I want for you is to be happy. Wow. Like, yeah. Where has this guy been for the last 30 years? <laughs> right. Not that he's not amazing, but holy heck, that was that was awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, within your daily routine, mm -hmm. what's one thing that you cherish most right now? I'm not a big routine guy. Like um, I was switching it up. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't do the same thing in the same order every day like some people do or need to. That's a tough one. I don't. I'm, yeah, I, I'm kind of spontaneous to I a fault. So having a thing that I do every day daily, I love obviously my family and my clients and stuff. But having some time, just like in silence every day, is so important for me. Just like no stimulus, even if it's just sitting at my desk and just not opening my mouth for like thirty minutes, just quiet. Not saying I do it every day, but it's amazing when I can do it. What's something that you're wanting to improve in your life right now? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is like health stuff. You get old and realize and, and you start to realize it. And so like, I want to improve <laughs> taking care of myself, I guess. <laughs> you're so mad about this. I, uh, I mean, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like you're going to die when you're going to die. Like. What am I going to add an extra five years to my life because I 
stretch sometimes. <laughs> awesome. Those five years probably aren't worth it anyway. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It will be worth it to be around family, I guess. But Or definitely. Or I don't you, know. <laughs> improve in my life right now. Like, It sounds like you're really on board. <laughs> I still really want to, you know, grow this company. So, like... Well, to do that, I think you got to add some stretches in. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to. I don't know. I work with some, like, 75-year-olds. They're not all that great. So, like. But you want to run circles around them. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Improve. I mean, the putting on the phone sometimes and stuff. Be, everything comes back to family once you have once you, once you you have one. Like, I want to improve my time with them. Like, that's. A no-brainer. It doesn't even need to be said, right? Like, the most important thing to me at this time is them. It kind of all comes back to them. All right. Yeah. And then to end it out, if there's one piece of advice that you want all the listeners to gain from you, what would it be? One piece of advice summed up in a nice, neat little bow. Um, I don't know if it sounds harsh. I don't think it should. But I... Maybe like that... Like, nobody's owed anything, generally speaking. Like, you go to college, it doesn't mean you're owed a job. You, you do this thing, it doesn't mean you do an audition, you're not owed the job. You, I feel like in life, it's, it's dangerous to go through life thinking you're owed something and much more fulfilling to earn stuff. Um, and I think if people can get a real handle on the difference between thinking you're owed something and thinking you've earned something, that like, that's how I try and go through life. So I think that's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, that, that, that piece of advice at the end of the day will never kind of do you wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it encourages you to work hard, love hard, uh, just everything. It encourages you to do everything to 110%. Alex White from AWA, everyone. Alex, thanks for having me, man. Dude, thanks so much. It was awesome. This is fun. It was super fun, yeah. man. So thank you so much. I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> and real proud that you're doing it. I mean, you're always... If, if anybody is the definition of earning things in life, it's you. You've uh, never not worked as hard as humanly possible for the stuff you want. And it's always been motivating for me. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. We're getting out of here. Thanks for listening. Alex, another big thank you to you, man. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>